Today's sermon's entitled, Your Life is Spread. I'll invite you to open your Bibles up to Luke chapter number 9, verses 10 to 17, and just read them a couple of times. My name's Reverend Derek Geller. I'm the pastor here at McKees Mills Baptist Church, and I want to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I got thinking about all the diverse cultures that are out there. There's a lot of different places, isn't there? There's places all across this world that are significantly different than one another. They have different initiation rituals, different traditions, different histories. They got different values and principles. Their boundaries vary from one place to the next. But I think as we look at all the cultures of this world, one thing unites them all. They all have the need, basic need for survival. And I got thinking about bread. Almost every culture has bread as a staple in order to survive, in order to eat it and get the basic necessities of life. And I got thinking about all the different breads of this world. For instance, I got thinking about the uh, French baguette or the croissants that the French are known for. I got thinking, oh, that looks awfully yummy, doesn't it? And then I got thinking about, well, what about the uh, Latin tortillas or the Indian nam? Those are awful good as well. And then I got thinking about, what about China and their uh, stuffed uh, buns or the North American sliced bread? The commonness of bread across many cultures is certainly true, but I also think that when the Bible looks at bread, it's often used as a metaphor, not only for Jesus Christ when he said, I am the bread of life, but also a metaphor for us in the way that we are ordinary, but at the same time, we are extraordinary. We're going to learn a little bit more about that. But the truth is, is that I think in our lives that some people like different things. Some people like to have chaos. Some people like to have, you know, that that sense of adventure. They want a fluid lifestyle. They want ever-changing. They want to be on the edge of exhilaration and change all the time. You met these people? You know what? They're exciting to be around. They've got a lot of creativity, but the only problem with them is they never want to stay with the norm. They always want to develop something new, and as soon as they develop it, they want to destroy it and develop something new again. And they can be exciting people to be around, but also a little bit um, exasperating too as well. But there's a lot of people like this, but the majority of the people I think are not like that at all. They just like the ordinariness of life. Most of us get up at a set time. I get up around 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. I get ready. I go to work. I basically work for about eight hours or so. You know, we spend so much time in shopping for groceries that are way too expensive, taking our kids for various different events, mowing the lawn that never stops growing. And we might get possibly, if we're really lucky, a little bit of time to either watch TV or to enjoy one of our hobbies. We tend to do this normal life that we call it over and over and over again. We really like the routine of life. In other words, repetition. And I got thinking, while routine gives us a sense of simplicity to our lives, surely there's more. There's got to be something more than just going through routine. When we contemplate the bread of life that God has given us, we realize that we are the dust of the earth, but we were created in the image of God, a little lower than the angels, and masterpieces of his grace. We've been given the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts to do great things in his kingdom. Surely when we examine our lives, we realize there is more. There's certainly a lot more to our lives in what God expects us to do. He expects us to do miracles in his name, he says to us. He expects us to do great and wonderful things. Are you doing those things? I'm going to launch a brand new uh, series. It's called Blessed, Broken, and Given. It's where ordinary people like you and me do extraordinary things inside of God's kingdom. 
We are called to be the hands and feet of Christ. We are to have faith that anything is possible, especially through Christ that strengthens us. And we're going to review a story, this this sermon part of the series. And I'm going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000, which I'm sure you're already aware of, and show how bread can actually symbolize extraordinariness, especially in the born-again believer. But let's start off first and foremost, talk about the first point, and that is that sometimes, I think, most times, we feel overwhelmed. The needs of the people that are around us are so diverse, and there's so many of them, that we feel overwhelmed to help them. And number two, we feel overwhelmed with our own circumstances and our own lives. Let's see how this plays out just a little bit. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 9, verses 1 to 6. Now, this is just before the passage that we're going to study. And Jesus said to his apostles, he said, I will give you power. I will give you authority. I want you to go out amongst all these villages. And I want you to go out to Capernaum, these villages. And I want you to preach the gospel message. You will have the power to drive out demons. You'll be able to cure diseases. And you'll be able to spread the good news amongst the people. So this is what the apostles did. They went out and they didn't take anything with them. They didn't have to take any any extra tunic or extra food or anything like that. They said, you know what? Jesus said, I will provide for you. You'll get lots of that as you go through these villages. The people will help you. But preach my word. And that's what they did. So after they get done preaching the word and healing all these people and driving out demons, they return to Jesus. And of course, they're giving them a report. They're going to tell them, here's what we did, Jesus. Here's what happened. And of course, they're excited because they just did a whole slew of miracles. And a lot of people actually come to believe in Jesus Christ. So they're sitting back saying, this is awesome. Let's tell Jesus all about it. But the problem was, as soon as they returned and they started telling about Jesus Christ, uh, you know, about all, to Jesus, all the wonderful things that happened, here you see in the picture a crowd. A whole bunch of people just massed on them. They were being people to death. Some of those people were the ones who had received the healing. Some of the people would have been the ones who ultimately heard the good news. You know, and the people just arrive from absolutely everywhere. And they're following the apostles and saying, you are just, the news you have is amazing and awesome. And they're following them and they can't get a word in edgewise to Jesus. So Jesus looks at them and says, you know what, you need a break. And he says, let's jump in the boat. And they all get in the boat, Jesus and the apostles, and they head off to this place called Bethsaida, which is really a wilderness area, small little town out in the wilderness. And, and Jesus said, let's go get a little bit of solitude so we can spend some time together. But the people soon realized what was happening. And they said, look, Jesus and the apostles are getting in a boat, and they're heading over this way. And we know what's over there. The only thing that's over there is Bethsaida. And I bet that's where they're going. So all these little towns and villages and this big crowd started on foot to run towards Bethsaida. And they said, we're going to get there before Jesus gets there and his apostles. Lo and behold, many of them did. And as a result of that, you'd think Jesus would be frustrated. You'd think he'd sit back and say, you know what, this is not good. I wanted to have some solitude and be alone with my disciples, but he wasn't frustrated at all. Instead, what he did is he healed a whole bunch of the sick and he taught them the good news as they all sat down. It was a long day for them. By the time they got there on foot and by the time Jesus spent time teaching them and healing their sick, it became late in the day and they were very tired and incredibly hungry. So Jesus looks at the apostles and he says to them, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed the crowd. Now, you would think this would be a very simple request. 
This, these are the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They would have known of the story of the manna in the desert in Exodus 16. They would have known about the story of Elisha, who had 20 loaves, and he fed 100 people in 2 Kings 2.4. They would have experienced and saw all these miracles that Jesus had done, and also the miracles they had just done on Christ's behalf, who gave him power and authority. So you know what? When Jesus asked them to give food and lodging, ultimately, or food, I should say, to all these people, you know, what would they say to him? They said, well, we're not sure if we can do that. We're not sure if we're capable. We're not sure if that's a realistic request. And I got thinking about this. You know what? When we think about the needs that we have, when we think about the needs of our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors, you know, we live in a world that is not our own. And like the apostles, sometimes when we see the overwhelming needs when we turn on the television set, it becomes exasperating. We look at all the need in the world and we say, what could I possibly ever do? Because it's too much. Those surrounded by a great crowd, uh, cloud of witnesses, it says in Hebrews 12.1, when we open the Bible, we got lots of people that we can refer to who Jesus Christ did great miracles through. We have countless miracles of Christ himself. We are born again. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Yet we have this big issue, and I think that it exists. We can't see beyond the laws of nature. We can't see what we know could possibly happen. All we see is the things that we know physically or humanly are impossible. And we sit back and say, I'm already defeated. When we're exposed to uh, earthquakes or diseases running rampant in this world, warring nations, famines, a depleting ozone, possibly a financial market that's about to crash any time and everybody keeps saying that it's going to do so, our response often is like this. We just want to get into our, our shell. We want to be like tortoises. We want to hide inside of our shell, retreat into what we call a normal life. While hoarding stuff is a really good way to get some kind of insurance, surely the born again are expected to offer this world prayers. Prayers that go way beyond just words. We got to get out there and do deeds. We got to go out and tell the world Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus loves them very much. And he changes history. He does all the time. We got to get out in the world and tell them all about the Lord. Not just with our words, but with our deeds too as well. Not hiding inside of a shell like this tortoise, but actually getting out there and doing something. And that's not easy for us, is it? Sometimes we feel absolutely overwhelmed in our situation. Let's look at the second thing. I think that we are blessed. I think we are blessed, broken, and given, just like Jesus Christ is about to do in the feeding of the 5,000 for the bread. And I got thinking, Jesus told the disciples, you know, give the crowd something to eat. Doesn't seem like a very big request until you find out how big the crowd is. It was approximately 5,000 people plus women and children. In other words, about 15,000 or maybe even 20,000 people. That's a lot of people to give bread to, to feed a crowd that size. You know what? The other night I had my family in and we had a Chinese food. And you know what? By the time you feed about 10 or 12 people, it adds up. It really does. But can you imagine feeding 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people? Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Here's the thing. In ancient times, if you summoned a crowd and a whole, a whole crowd started following you, it was a cultural tradition that if they were following you and you were talking to them, like Jesus Christ was doing with the crowd, then he was responsible not only for their safety, but the responsibility lied on Jesus, according to culture, to feed them too as well. 
And Jesus goes and says to the apostles, I want you to feed this crowd. And Philip goes and he objects one of the apostles and he says, this can't be done. Come on, Jesus, this is humanly impossible. It would take more than a half year's wage to give them but a single bite. Think about that for a moment. Half year's wage. Let's say if you make, I don't know, let's say $60,000 a year. That means it would cost $30,000 to give each one of these individuals, the apostles saying, just a little tiny bite, not feed them. Just give them a little, not even a snack, just a little tiny bite. That's all, a morsel. That's it. Can you imagine what it would cost then to feed all of them? He's basically saying it would take much more than that. It would take several years worth of wage potentially in order to feed them. That's an awful lot of money. And of course, the apostles didn't have that. And I got thinking, why did the apostles lack faith, though? Jesus provided miracles for them when they were first called. Peter certainly would have remembered when he went and cast his nets over the boat, and he, he got so many fish that he couldn't pull them all in. Surely Peter would have remembered that. Surely they would have known of Elisha's five barley loaves that were multiplied. Surely would have known about the manna that fed the Israelites while they were in the desert. Surely they could have remembered all the miracles that Jesus had already performed and said, you know what, anything's possible with Jesus because he is God. Jesus did the following, though. He sat down and he said, you know what, I know you don't believe at this point, the disciples. He says, but I want to show you that God can do anything, absolutely anything. So he has the crowd sit down in 50s, like organized ranks in an army. Maybe it was a little bit like that. I got thinking about it. You know what? Maybe this was the army potentially of believers that were going to go out in the world and spread the good news. That's a possibility. Maybe many of them did. Jesus sits them all down and he says, I'm going to give a blessing. And I got looking it up in history and I said, you know what? What kind of blessing might he have given at that time? And I find this in the Mishnah, there's a blessing that is often given, especially when it comes to food. And it goes like this. Blessed be you, O Lord, our God, king of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. That might have been his blessing that he had given. Everybody would have known it and understood what it meant. The people, in the end, the baskets were handed out of food. It was only, you know, it was five loaves and two little tiny fish. And it was given out to all the people. And it says in the Bible, they ate until they were completely satisfied. In other words, they were stuffed to the brim. They didn't sit back. They didn't leave hungry in any way, shape, or form. Do you have a family event like that where, where it's potluck and everybody brings a whole bunch of food? And if you leave hungry, it's by your own choice. It's not because of a lack of food. I have lots of family events like that. Afterwards, you're laying there in agony thinking, why did I eat so much food? I imagine the crowd was like that. They ate as much as they wanted. They were completely, wholly satisfied in every way. And can you imagine what the food must have tasted like? I can only imagine food that comes from Jesus' hand must have been absolutely heavenly. And the people ate, and they ate, and they ate, and they were full. And I got to think, what can we learn from this story? I think it's easy to, to read the story. It's easy to even memorize this story. And I imagine most people, most Christians know this story. But what are some of the lessons? And I just want to focus on a couple of them. First, Blessedness is not about accumulating or achieving more. It's about identity. It's about us recovering our identity and realizing what we're called to do. See, if we're truly blessed and we truly understand our blessings, we're going to realize that Jesus Christ wants to use us as his hands and feet. He actually wants us to get out into his kingdom and do great things in his name. And this is something that we've got to understand and realize. Yes, none of us are righteous, not a single one, Romans 3, 10 to 18. But we are all, as Christians, born again of the water and spirit. 
We're eternally adopted into God's family as his very own children. And if we don't lean onto our own understanding, in other words, the laws of nature, and say, you know what, it can't be done. Instead, if we put our trust in the Lord, anything and everything is possible. Because whatever the Lord asks when we seek first the kingdom of God will automatically happen. We have to understand the might and power of God. See, it's very easy, even in a church setting, to sit back and say, that can't be done. You know what? We've tried that before. It didn't work. Or, or you're asking us to do what? That can't be done. They'll never happen. That's not humanly possible. But with God, anything is possible. Anything. In our weakness, I think God's grace shines the absolute brightest, it says in Scripture. It's when we're the weakest that God's power is manifested through us and the people see God and they don't see us. We are like jars of clay. We are utterly dependent upon the Lord. And when we cry out to him, Abba, Father, please help me. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with the fact that I sin too much. Help me with the, the, the ideas and the thoughts that go through my head that all say that I can't do it. Help me to realize you can and you will if I just have faith in you. We are called to do so much more. We're not called just to survive. I don't think we're just called to have routine where we get up every morning and we do the exact same thing every single day and we never deviate from it. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be open, to listen to, and always be available to the Lord for the moment he asks us and he opens a door. We got to go through the door and say, yes, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to. We're called to get out of our shells of normalcy. You know, it's nice being in a normal spot. It's nice. The routine is actually quite enjoyable. And, and it makes us feel very comfortable. But when the Lord calls us to perform miracles in his name and his will, we don't want to say no to him. We want to say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. Don't be like the disciples in the story. But instead, when we see an unmovable mountain, may we sit back and really see it and realize that, you know what, if God says, you know what, Faith is as tiny as a mustard seed. You can tell that mountain to cast itself in the sea. Believe that. Believe it's true because it is. And just say, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. And I got thinking as a final point. God is here. God is present. God is able, more than able, to get us to do anything that he wants us to do as long as we are willing. But God is is here. And I want to finish with this final point. Jacob had a dream. Jacob was, uh, one day he was running away. He had stolen his blessing from his brother Esau. And, you know, he probably was wondering, what's my destiny going to be? What am I going to end up obtaining in this world? Am I going to ever accomplish much of anything? Right now, I'm just on the run. And he was probably wondering, where will I land and what will I do? He used a stone as a pillow, as you can see in the picture, and he laid his head on a, on a stone. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would be? Laying on a hard ground, and you got stone for a pillow, you'd think that you wouldn't have a very good night's sleep. But he actually had a really good one because he dreamed. He had a beautiful dream, a vision, and the vision was exciting. He had a vision of a stairway resting on earth going all the way up into heaven, and the angels ascending and descending on a ladder. Then he heard the Lord God cry out, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Jacob wakes up and the first thing he, th he thinks to himself, surely the Lord was in this place and I was unaware of it. How many places do we go in life that we're unaware that the Lord is there? How many times do we think to ourselves foolishly that the Lord won't help us? 
How many times do we sit in our normal lives and say, you know what, this is the best it's ever going to be? We are like Jacob in so many ways. We have sin in our eyes. We have ultimately weakness, very, very much weakness. We're very frail. We're easily broken. But at the same time, if we rest on God, his strength, we can do anything in his name. If we could only get a glimpse of how God sees us, the potential that he sees in us, we could only see the spiritual gifts that God's already granted to us and the beautiful and wonderful mission that he already has ready for us. We encounter many things in our lives, trials, tribulations, many difficult things. We turn on the TV set and we do see many calamities that happen to people all the way across the world. And we wonder, will that ever happen to me? It's always a possibility. We know our health can always fail at any moment. We know financial ruin can be right around the corner. We know that wars can break out in a moment's notice. We know that there are many bad things that can happen to us, so we hoard things. We keep stuff as an insurance. We try to have the most normal life we possibly can, and we try to accumulate as much stuff. If that normalcy ever gets broken, we might be able to have a little bit of insurance against it. But this is not what God is calling us to do. We must see the presence of God absolutely everywhere. We need to stand still, confess our sins, and have our minds renewed by God so that we might know and understand who he is. We're guaranteed success. We always are. As his ambassadors and royal priests, whatever he asks us to do, we will always be able to accomplish if it's in his name and according to his will. We are truly like the bread. We are blessed. We are broken in so many different ways, but we're also enabled to do great things according to the Lord. The question is, how are you living your life? Do you honestly believe that you can do anything the Lord asks you to do? Do you believe that he's just going to leave you to do the normal things of life, just to exist? Or do you believe that he's actually going to call you to do much greater things? It says in the Bible that if we seek first the kingdom of God, forget about the things that we need, like bread just to live on. In other words, food, water, or shelter, the basic necessities of life. If we just seek first the kingdom of God, all those things will be given to us, and we'll get the opportunity to serve in his kingdom in ways that we can't even think or imagine. Can you imagine all the doors, all the possibilities that God has for us if only we would have faith in him and say yes to him? If you're living a normal life, if you've got lots of routine, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. But if you've got such a normal life that you're hiding like a tortoise in a shell and you're saying, I don't want to try anything new. And when the Lord comes and arrives and asks me to do something new, I'm just going to hide in my shell. That's not where God wants you. He wants you as his ambassadors and royal priests to serve with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. He wants you to put your trust in him. Don't worry about an unknown future. You can't control it anyway, no matter how much insurance you have. Just sit back and say, I will serve. I will do whatever you ask, Lord, because I know I'll always be successful when I go after your vision, your goal, and your dreams for my life. Is that where you want to be? Because I can tell you, my goodness, that's an incredible life. And that's the life the Lord wants you to live. So the next time he comes knocking at your door, make sure you get out of that shell. Make, make sure you sit back and say, Lord, here I am. Take me like, you know, Isaiah did. And just say, Lord, I just want to serve you with all my heart. And I just want to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. Because I, I'm not looking for a normal life. I'm looking to obtain and get into the life that you prepared me to have in the first place. And I just want to serve with everything I have. 
and maybe stop and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for I am broken, but I am truly blessed, especially when I put my trust in you. May God bless you today, and may you take, and it's not even risk in his kingdom, is it? May you just follow in Jesus' footsteps that he has for you today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Amen.